All right, welcome, friends beyond the binary, ladies, gentlemen, gals, gays, non-binary pals, everyone in between, to Where Are We Now, a podcast where I, Ruth Correa's, connect, chat, and kiki with folks who came into the public eye at a young age. I am feeling, where am I today? Spiritually, I feel good. I meditated, and then I emotionally... You know, my moon is about to happen, so I'm a little foggy, and I'm just like, just bleed already. And then as far as – yeah, that's like kind of emotionally and physically in one. So that's where I'm at. That's where I am now, (laughs) physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I rearranged my furniture a little bit. I was talking about this with my guest before we hit record. I've been living in this studio for about two months now, and I'm finally understanding this space. So – I moved some things around. I set up my little money altar. It looks good. And now I'm just kicking it with my guest who is amazing. I am so excited that they are here. They are an actor, a screenwriter, a singer, a musician, a painter, a ceramicist, and the daughter of someone you might know. Somebody who maybe might have been the lead singer of the band Chicago at one point. That's tight. Please give a warm where are we now welcome to Claire Satera. Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> welcome Queen. It's so good to see you. You too. Thanks for asking me to be on. I'm honored. Of course. You were one of the first people that I was just like, oh my God, I want to know about her life. I know. Um, we finally um, figured that out about each other. We had some similarities in our childhood spheres. Yes, yes. So you are the daughter of the one and only Peter Cetera, who, as I mentioned before, was the lead singer of Chicago. And that is just so cool. I mean, I feel like a lot of people's dream is to have like a rock star parent. Do you want to maybe like slide into like a little bit about like what that was like? Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that's probably the main question I get from people who are excited to find that out is what was it like to be his daughter, the daughter of a celebrity, the daughter of somebody famous? And it's always a strange question to be asked because I don't know anything different. So I don't really know how to relate it to anything else. So Generally, my answer is, I don't know, he's just my dad, but I got to have a lot of really cool experiences because of it. I feel so privileged that I got to travel the world with him doing tours and got to perform with him in front of huge audiences and just the benefits of, you know, he came from a poor family in Chicago on the South Side and he worked his way up to his success. And so for him to be able to afford that type of lifestyle for me and my now half sister, who's a bit younger than me, you know, I really appreciate that. And it's so cool. But at the same time, he's just an annoying dad to me majority of the time. So it's pretty similar to everyone else, just with the travel and the exposure and the fandom that I see kind of secondhand from him or that I get secondhand from Instagram or any social media presence where people are just dying to connect with him and sometimes try to come through me. (laughs) But I would say it's pretty awesome. I feel way more cultured than the predominantly white middle-class small community I grew up in in Sun Valley, Idaho. 
And I think it's awesome that I got this life. I also missed a lot of things because I was gone a lot. I missed certain bonding with high school friends. Mm. I missed certain experiences. Did you go to prom? I did sometimes, yes. But also when I was in high school, I was a competitive athlete. I was a snowboarder. So I missed a lot of things because of that too, which was my own choosing. That's so cool. The snowboarding and like, I don't know. I find that the prom question just comes from like everybody. Totally. (laughs) I feel like everybody who was like a child actor or somebody who kind of was working on a TV show when they were in their teens or in high school or somebody who just had that kind of lifestyle that we were blessed slash maybe a little bit sometimes cursed to have. (laughs) Right. And one of the questions that I get asked a lot and one of the ones that I like to ask a lot is like, did you go to prom? Because Did you? Did you go to prom? I went to prom every year for four years in a row. Nice. The first two were bad. And then the second, my junior and senior year prom was good. My senior year prom was specifically very good. Why? Um, Because I went with a girl and well, they're non-binary, but in high school, you know, we were both identifying as girls and it was cool. I kind of went to a progressive high school where it wasn't a big deal. People weren't like, (gasps) because I grew up in Chicago in the city, city of Chicago and people were just like, oh, tight. Do you have any prom horror stories? (laughs) Let's see. I went with an older guy multiple times. was in my friend group that I knew had a crush on me, but I never had feelings for. So it was just more of a fun time for me. But horror story, oh God, I just had like an arch rival nemesis that (laughs) I was always trying to like infiltrate. And I remember one time my best friend was an exchange student from Switzerland and the girl tried to kind of be in and she knew our whole history and she was like, just stay out of our friend. I was like, oh, I was like, <laughs> bow down to my Swiss German friend who like spoke up. But yeah, nothing too crazy. Mine was pretty sheltered though. Like it was pretty heteronormative. So I definitely feel more connected to the creative community in LA with more diversity across multiple sexual, gender race differences. Yeah, it is a pretty diverse place like Los Angeles. I was honestly shocked at how diverse it was when I first moved out here. So I want to pop back over to the snowboarding thing because (laughs) I did not know this about you and you are a person I've known for a little over a year. And and that was a genuine shock to me when I saw that. I was like, what the actual heck? That is so cool. So you were nearly an Olympic snowboarding athlete queen. Yeah. Well, it can be traced back to a crush I had in high school. So in Sun Valley, it's a ski resort town. So you can get out early from school if you are on the snowboard or ski team. So naturally, majority of us would be on one of those. I, around 11, started snowboarding and it was still an up and coming sport. It had just gotten into the Olympics a couple times, recognized as a sport there. So I got really good. I worked up pretty quickly in the ranks, competing regionally and then internationally on the World Cup circuit at 17 and 18 and ended up doing a deferral year from USC to try to make it to the 2002 Olympics in the World Cup circuit. So traveled around the world, Japan, Austria, Germany, Bardonecchia, Italy, which was going to be the future Olympics. And basically the U.S. had a select amount of spots that already we got. 
regardless of how well we placed or not. But so we had a certain amount for the women's side and about the six or so actual Olympic qualifiers within the World Cup circuit. I DNF'd in one of the races, which was I crashed and didn't finish. So I didn't place. And that crash led the girl that I did always beat to go to the Olympics. So I felt okay about it. And I was like, you know, this isn't my passion. Oh, I missed the whole crush part. I joined the snowboard team, (laughs) the race snowboard team, because there was a guy, oh my God, my whole high school crush I had a crush on, but very quickly did I surpass him (laughs) beyond him. I was like, wait, oh, okay. But no, it was another great reason I got to travel the world and have some experiences beyond my years at a younger age. That's incredible. And you know what? It shows spiritual growth that you were able to tell the story and not mention the crush. And then you were like, oh, <laughs> right. wait, I forgot. That's like incredible. Right. <laughs> I am still in a place where I can't tell a story without mentioning. I was like, oh, this person I used to hook up with. <laughs> like a part of it. So I admire that. I love to see that. That is so cool. Like, it's my older oh life. Oh my God. That is not like, part of my life anymore. <laughs> snowboarding is not part of your life. No, friends are like, oh my God, let's go. And I'm like, I don't care. It became work for me. It wasn't fun. They're like, what? So, I mean, maybe we could talk about that too, of like how even in the creative world, we're doing something in a certain way, loses its fun, and then you kind of don't want to do it as much. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about what is the passion now? Like, I know you make art, beautiful paintings and ceramics and stuff like that. Is that kind of where you find your most joy now? Yeah, I will say a big learning curve growth for me, which has happened in quarantine because I was predominantly an actor server and both those jobs went kaput in quarantine, couldn't be in production for anything and restaurants shut down, you know, so being on unemployment and having a lot of unstructured time and also kind of realizing that maybe some of my reasons for acting were the wrong reasons for maybe some outside validation. And as I grow and learn to really validate myself, it's like, okay, is that desire really there as much anymore? And normalizing therapy. I'm in therapy now. Come on. Yes. Therapy. We love it. Working with her is all about, like she said, what do you already do that you love doing that doesn't feel like work that you could do for work? And I just thought that was such a great idea that I had never really considered. So cue voice lessons, teaching voice lessons, cue DM me for a commission of art or ceramics, you know, these things that I genuinely love doing that I already have the skill set to do that I could potentially make money for. And a lot of that just comes around like building yourself. Like I know I have these skills, self-confidence, self-esteem, and then letting the money part take care of itself. Granted, we do have to make money, which, you know, especially in a time right now is really tough, but also like mental sanity and mental health of like what brings me joy. I don't know. Does that affect you at all? Did that change at all in quarantine for you? I know you're doing tarot readings and stuff like that. So cool now. Yeah, big time. I mean, that's exactly what it was, was that I was just like, my life is over because the skincare facial shop that I used to work at obviously had to close because nobody's trying to get a facial when there's a global pandemic. And then, yeah, similarly, I had a bunch of bigger level stand-up shows booked for April of 2020. And I was just like, God damn it. Like I was, yeah. yeah. When all of that shut down, I had about a month of sitting in my dirty diaper and being upset and being like, my career is over, my life is over. 
And then I started with some of my like friends, they were like, oh, like you're really into astrology, huh? And I was just like, yeah. And they were like, could you like do a birth chart analysis for me? I'd totally send you like 50 bucks or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And then I've been reading tarot for myself for years and I started offering on my TikTok lives, just like quickie little super rapid fire readings. And then I started taking classes with holisticism, which is run by my spiritual mentor, Michelle Pelazon. And basically that led to me starting a full business during quarantine with my tarot and my Akashic Records reading and Patreon. And now this podcast is a part of that kind of engine of revenue. But I honestly wanted to do this podcast just because I've been talking about doing a podcast for years. And now it's up and running. We've got like a handful of episodes recorded and I'm so stoked about it. Yeah, I've been able to hire a team of beautiful women to like do this thing with me. And it's all incredible. And I'm like, oh, wow, I could actually do this for the rest of my life and not feel shitty if I never went back to theater or film. Mm. I'd still want to go back to theater and film, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel okay if that wasn't in the cards for me, no pun intended. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Finding other avenues and shifting and what really brings us joy and what we can bring to the community. I think it's so cool, like your theme around this show, because that is a specific theme to you and some of your friends that I haven't heard about a lot. So kudos. Thank you. And thank you for being here. I do want to talk about something that you revealed to me that I think is so funny. I am a huge nerd for television competition singing shows. Specifically right now, I love The Masked Singer. I don't know if you've seen The Masked Singer, but it's... I have not watched it. I've just seen commercials for it. It's so stupid. I love it so much. I just remember you brought up a memory, a core memory for me was watching the first season and spoiler alert for the first season of Masked Singer. If you haven't watched it already, I mean, it's fine. You're not missing much. (laughs) On season one of the Masked Singer, they were trying to guess who this one person was for so long. And then when it was revealed to be Rumor Willis, the judges were like, oh, and they were just so like, okay. (laughs) I felt so bad for her. I was like, oh my God, she put her heart and soul into this performance. And I was just like, that's terrifying. Small world. I grew up with her in Idaho. We went to the same high school. No shit. That's so funny. Oh my God. Well, I need to get all three of them Rumor, Scout, and Tallulah on this pod because I, I do enjoy them all so much. They're all Kind, great. talented They're all people. so great. Yeah, and hip and awesome, yeah. Yeah, and so hip. But you mentioned being asked to be on a singing competition program on the television. Yes. And what was that show? I want to hear the whole story. I'm trying to remember. I should have probably looked it up before this, but I don't recall exactly. But it was some version of Celebrities Offspring the voice competition. So they had to outreach, obviously, to find the people. And we did get approached and he asked me and I was just like, oh, that feels like a setup. I don't know. I just felt icky about it. And I mean, my personal journey with his fame and stuff was I early on had some bad experiences in like 
camp where a girl was super bitchy to me and then she found out and then she was like fake nice and I was like oh this is what people do okay I'm never telling anyone my last name you have to be my good friend first before I tell you and I get that thing when rappers are like you gotta love me before I make the money because I can't trust you do you just love me for my money and my fame or what? And I felt that on the most minuscule level of, I don't want to not know if people like me. I mean, you had it like, it was you, it was your fame in School of Rock. People know you. But for me, it was like, why do you care? You're not getting anything from me by knowing me. Yeah, I feel that too, though, because people were, it's so funny. I'll always remember that. I've told this story a couple of times on the show, but I'll tell a different part of it. So around the same time I got cast in School of Rock, I had also gotten cast as Alice in the school play, Alice in Wonderland. I was Tea Party Alice. There were many Alices to make it fair for all the girls in the school because Alice really carries the show. Understandable. I really wanted to play Alice the entire show. (laughs) But (laughs) I booked School of Rock at the same time. And then when I was being taken out of school to go to New York to do the thing, the auditorium for rehearsal, like we were all sitting in the house and the director... I remember his name was Jason. He was so cool. Jason was like, hey, so like we have an announcement. Rivka is not going to be in the show anymore. She's going to go be in a movie in New York and we may never see her again. And this is just what acting is like. And I was just like, what? (laughs) And then one of the kids was like, raised his hand and was like, is she going to meet little Romeo? Well, first of all, that's aging myself for sure. (laughs) I don't give a fuck. I'm 28. Everyone knows. It's on the internet that I'm 28. (laughs) And then that was like my first experience of, oh, like people are going to want something out of me. And then having, I don't know, like I had a friend who was auditioning for the most recent, like I guess they're doing an iCarly reboot and my co-star Miranda Cosgrove is Carly. And I had a couple of friends like reach out and say, Hey, like I'm auditioning for the new iCarly. Can you put in a good word with Miranda to me? I was just like, I mean, I can say something, Uh but I guarantee you she's not a part of this casting process. Like she's not the casting director. It's just interesting. And it's like, even coming from industry people, I'm like, that is... You should know better. (laughs) You should know. And also like, it was awkward because it was a handful of people, including my own sister. (laughs) And I was just like, well, I can't put in a good word for anyone now because I know too many people who have reached out to me about this specific thing. Conflict of interest, you know? Like, yeah, I just think it's so funny the way that that even industry people, but mostly non-industry people think that celebrity and fame works. You know know what I've learned actually is, and I guess I should wrap up my story by saying we chose not to do the show because I was like, I think for me, it's like any of those kids. It's such a hard... When was that? I don't know. I was probably a teenager, so almost 20 years ago, probably. I just felt like I'm nowhere near the talent that my dad is. And nor do I have the like comfort around the nerves of TV that I'm like, I will not do well at this show. So I don't want to just be the crash and burn person. So I opted out, but that could just be my own thing. But I was like, I don't because people are just going to be looking at me going, is she sounding as good as her dad? Mm, I don't know. And that actually affected a lot of my fear around pursuing singing because the comparison was so hard to continually compare myself to one of the top vocalists 
in the industry. And then me trying to learn that learning curve of improving was just like, well, I'm not there. So I might as well give up or unless I'm there, there's no space for me to be a musician. Whereas now there's a lot, I just realized there's so much more space to be an imperfect musician and have an imperfect voice or do my little band thing and not be compared to my dad. But I know people like, was it Sean Lennon or um, what's the other guy? Dylan? Bob Dylan's kid? Yeah. Like, I don't know his name. Why don't I know that? I know. Oh I'm like, I knew God. it at one point. It's evading me right now. Isn't that like Sean Dylan? No, it's Sean Lennon. You literally. Okay. I said, yeah, I was like, it's all just Sean and then whatever their famous last Sean. name is. Colin yeah. Hanks, I feel like gets the same thing too. And I feel like any child of a famous actor, musician, Olympic athlete or whatever, they get that shadow immediately. It's very challenging to go into the same genre as a celebrity parent that you have. Yeah. And so I think it's easier as a painter, these like other things, an actor, because it's in the same entertainment industry, but I'm not necessarily being compared to their specific talent. Yeah. Who ended up being on that show? <laughs> Honestly, you should look it up. I. I don't remember, but I remember oh, watching so an episode and being like, I'm so glad I'm not on this. Oh, Reality I would TV crumble. Is the devil. I was recently reached out to by America's Got Talent after being on one season of Bring the Funny, which was a fun experience. I had really a lot of fun on the one week that I was there. And it was like after being out of LA for a couple months and I was just happy to be back here. And we were treated really well. And then the second I got eliminated from the show, the show producer came up to me backstage and goes, okay, so when do you want to be flew home? And I was just like, oh, can I have a second to process this grief of not winning $100,000? Oh, damn. Can you just give me like a sec, lady? Like, <laughs> But it was nice. I ended up making good out of it and staying in LA for like a month after. And it basically did solidify my move here, which happened at the beginning of 2020. Wait, what was that show about? Bring the Funny. It was like The Voice, but with stand-up comedians and variety comics. They had three categories. So it was like stand-up, sketch, and variety. And I fell under the variety category because I do music in my act. And it was wild. I felt gaslit the entire time. I mean, I'm probably going to do just like a solo episode all about my experience on that show just so I can talk about it. I will say the one thing I will say publicly on this episode is that Chrissy Teigen was so cool. So nice. All of the judges, Keenan, Jeff Foxworthy, everybody that was on the show, except for a couple of the comics that were competing against me were really, really fucking cool. But it was just the gaslighting and the like weirdness of just the producing and the production of it was so gross that when <laughs> when America's Got Talent reached out to me, I was instantly like suspicious. And I was just like, this is going to be weird again, isn't it? Y'all are going to tell me that you don't know anything about School of Rock and then make it entirely about School of Rock, right? Mm. And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this at all. Well, yeah, because um, it's like they either want to cast you as the success. You know, there's certain ways a show does well. You got to have the crazy the negative, the archetypes, the stereotypes that they want people to play into. You can't just have a bunch of like semi-normal people doing their talent because then there's no drama. There's no conflict, which is what you learn about when you're screenwriting. It's like there always has to be conflict. So of course, producers are always trying to manifest this false conflict or create conflict to make the show more of an attention grabber. 
Yeah. And I understand they're just doing their job. Right. But it's like also like we're humans. We're all humans and we're all sensitive. And there are people who have literally gone off the deep end after reality TV shows. And but yeah, it can I'm affect lucky. people's I'm lives. I'm lucky that I was where I was at when I did bring the funny because I was already sober and just on this journey of growth and in therapy. So I was able to bounce back from losing pretty quickly. And also I had like a, a huge support system in Chicago and in LA and in New York who were just rooting for me. And they like were proud of me no matter what, even though I was only on the show for like half a second. So yeah, all in all, it was a great experience. I got my paycheck that I, you know, I sometimes get residuals for being on that one episode, which is kind of tight. There's good stuff and bad stuff about all of it. Yeah, there's a shadow to everything. And then there's like an illuminated side to everything too. Maybe they should offer two months post-therapy for people on any reality show. Honestly, I think therapy is so important and that should be a part of everyone's contract, whether it's like child actors working on an intense drama or people working on a reality show and there should be definitely some therapy stipend in there or something. I mean, I think things should be taught in school that we have to learn in therapy years later. Like, why do we not learn about communication 101? Why do we not learn about conflict resolution? Do I ever use any math equations? Not really, but I could have used how to deal with conflict or set boundaries or all these <sighs> meditation. You know, there's a great Amen. program in my hometown, the Flourish Foundation, that is in all the public and private schools currently teaching, they have to call it mindfulness, but meditation to kids, which is such a game changer because it teaches them, it helps them focus with their ADHD so they can do homework better. And especially if they're in a chaotic home situation. It teaches them not to blow up and put a pause between their feelings and their actions. So it's just beautiful, right? Like I think this type of stuff, why do we not teach human interaction and how to handle ourselves in school so that we're all not hot messes growing up and then having to learn it way later in life when it's much harder to change our habits, you know? Right. And then having to spend our well-earned paycheck on therapy when at our jobs, we're not even using any of the fucking shit that we learned in school. Yeah, you're right. I haven't touched algebra. I would have loved to learn about the attachment styles when I was in fifth grade. Right? Like, <laughs> Are you avoidant? Are you? <laughs> yeah. I have a question for you and I ask all my guests. It's my favorite segment of the show. Who was your Matilda? Who was your Matilda? that question and I I was like okay oh gosh this is gonna sound so ridiculous but the matrix Neo (laughs) tell me everything about that I think feeling out of place in my community but not quite understanding why it just resonated so much in that movie where he's like feels like he's just in this thing in this life that he doesn't resonate with and he's woken up and there's this whole other reality that he's never explored and I was like that's what I want to happen in my life I want there to be a whole nother reality option for me because I'm not loving this limited feeling that I have in this current lifestyle and I know now it's come out as like a whole trans allegory which I think is awesome yes extremely trans, The Matrix. I still have yet to see it, but I've read all (gasps) the stuff about it. I know, I know. And it's one of those like things that, I don't know. It's like one of the things that I am told constantly, like you have to watch this. And I'm like, I will, I will, I will. And I just like have been sleeping on it. 
Dude, it's personally, I mean, I don't identify as trans. I'm exploring a facet of non-binariness, maybe she, they, I haven't completely decided what I'm, I am there, but maybe that's part of it. But even if you're not any of that, I still feel like if you feel that kind of out of placeness, this movie will just super resonate with you. Kind of taking control of your own choices and mind power and focus can be meditation and choice and all this stuff of how we react to things or choose to act rather than just react, all that stuff. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful Matilda. Neo, I love that. I love that so much. Maybe Neo will become my new Matilda when I watch the movie. (laughs) I had a thought. Going back to like that archetype of feeling out of place, the misfit. Did you experience a lot of misfitism as a kid? Like, yes. And did that carry into adulthood? Yeah. Yeah. I think my misfitness, I think spurned from seeing so many different places and cultures and things that weren't necessarily represented in my community growing up, kind of feeling like there's so much more to life, which maybe had my thing about the matrix too. But then also there was another layer of I'm a white woman coming from a middle to upper socioeconomic status. I don't have the right to feel this way, you know, like a guilt around that feeling of not really fully connecting with my community. And so as I've matured and learned things, it's like everybody's experience is relative. So you can't compare your experience to someone who has it way worse because you're feeling your feelings and your feelings are valid wherever you're coming from. And feelings can lead to suicide or whatever it is, bad acting out that can lead to other places. And so I've learned to like remove the guilt and the shame around that and just kind of work on finding my communities that I do feel accepted and loved in. And a lot of that is in LA with the different, especially creative communities with more diverse sexual preferences and gender identities. I just feel like, yeah, everybody should get to explore who they are and not feel limited by this societal or binary antiquated culture. And, you know, I still will always explore that, but finding myself and my, I haven't really fully (laughs) formed this idea maybe, but Yeah, I would say LA has helped a lot with that and certain other things that I do has helped a lot to find my community. But definitely being in a creative community in LA is like the biggest thing for me. I fully love everything that you just said there. And I also want to just say it is so refreshing to see not only you, but a lot of my friends right now going through not necessarily gender journeys, but yeah, I guess it is a bit of a gender journey of just like a, oh, this is not something I had ever thought about. And yeah, it's that thing of once you know that you don't know, that's how you know that you're ready to know that you're more fluid, that you're less feminine. And I say feminine with an eye roll and air quotes, because it is like, what the fuck is feminine? Because I think feminine was created by the masculine, like the patriarchal. Colonial patriarchal structure to keep us down and owned by the man that we married into with our land. Yeah. It's like, Mm -hmm. if I don't have Mm -hmm. to be that, I would like to not be that. Thank you very much. If that's just a structure that I can step out of, I would like to do that. And I grew up in a sport. I grew up around a bunch of dudes. I was super athletic and tomboy. So I identify more with male energy and the male like vibe and the way we communicate. And just because 
I have long hair and all this is sometimes I resent looking like a woman. Like, why do I have to look pretty or put on more makeup or wear a dress to get I'm not doing it anymore for male attention. I'm Mm -hmm. doing it because it's how I feel that day. I could have showed up in my beanie haired pulled back buttoned up shirt and that I might have felt like that today. And now it's more about like, how do I feel on the inside and how can I express that in my way that I wear clothes or wear my hair or whatever. I've wanted to shave my head off since I was in high school, but I'm loving that you cut your hair. I'm definitely feeling the vibes. I'm almost ready to do it. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. Yeah. But who cares? Right. Who cares? It's like, that's up to you. And I think that I needed to cut my hair in order to know that I was non-binary enough, which is so fucked because like- I I totally relate to that. Yeah. But once I did it, I was just like, oh, wow. And then the other day I put on a wig and I was just like, I am a woman. Every day you're exactly right. Like it's different. I rarely wear makeup. Today I was feeling like putting on a face and I put on a little bit of a Glossier face, you know, which is barely a face, but it is a face. Totally. I feel like five out of seven days of the week, I do not do anything to my hair. I do not do anything to my face aside from wash it and put on loose fitting boyish clothing. And then there's like a couple days a week where like, I am just like, no, like I want to be a pretty girl today. And that is of my own. But then when I do that, I feel like I'm in drag, which is really fun. Dude, Um, I feel the same way. I'm like, what are these? I feel like out of place and I almost feel like a fraud when I'm being a woman. The fact that I'm wearing a dress right now, like I feel really weird having to wear a dress a lot of the time. And I'll just say about that because I cut you off is when I'm in my creative go career mode, it feels like such a waste of time to have to like do my hair and put on my face and wear things to appear a certain way. It's like, no, I'm doing things. I don't have time to worry about how I look, which is traditionally the male gender ideal is like, they don't have to worry about putting on makeup or da da da. I have a face on today. I put some gel in my hair. I put on earrings like that took up my time. So it just depends. Sometimes I do want to step into that like feminine sexuality, sensuality thing that I feel. And then sometimes I want to be that, but also can I find the self-love and the self-empowerment even in not wearing makeup? It's like you have to unlearn. Like I have to unlearn the thing. Like I want a partner that likes me for me, not something I'm putting on, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's where the shaved head thing comes in. And also like androgynous style is more in any way, which thank God. And like comfy clothes. It's like, yeah, I want to be able to run. I want to be able to move. I don't want to be restricted by a heel or some tight fitting thing that doesn't make me comfortable or exposes my natural curvaceous body in a way that isn't LA fit ideal. Yeah. That's a gift of the quarantine. I feel like the pandemic has really let people specifically like AFAB people wear loose fitting garments. And now I literally leave the house in full pajamas. I have no shame about it. I never did that in college. I wasn't one of those people who wore pajama pants to class. Like I could never, I had a whole routine and I was recently watching the pilot of Miss Maisel again and just seeing how I don't know if you've watched that show. A little bit. That first episode where she goes to bed with a full face of makeup on, and then once she realizes her husband's asleep, she goes to the bathroom, does cold cream, puts her hair in curlers, and then wakes up a little bit before the husband to get all that stuff off and put makeup on, and then gets back in bed, and he's like, honey, wake up. And she's like, oh, I didn't even hear the alarm. 
That is what I did Ugh. in college. Like I was definitely that type of person who would wake up two hours earlier than I usually would to curl my hair or to straighten my hair, depending on where we were at racially with hair. Totally. Um, oh my God. I have a whole journey yeah, with that too. Yeah. It's so funny because I was like watching your videos on your website and there were a lot of like straight hair Claire videos. And I was just like, I don't think I've ever seen her with yeah. straight hair. So that's kind of within this realm too is I hated my curly hair growing up. Both my parents have straight hair. And so I felt like nobody taught me how to do curly hair. I know that's traditionally an adopted thing, but like nobody taught me to like put in gel and air dry and then break it up later. Or nobody taught me how to like blow it out and then recurl it for a loose wave. I had to learn that in my like older years. Anyway, definitely for a while in college, I like did the Japanese hair straightening. It made me feel sexier, but also again, appealing to men, not accepting self. And then in that hello society, that's what was ideal in acting and commercial success was I noticed that I got called back more when my hair was straight in the loose curl. So I did all my headshots that way. It takes about two hours between mm -hmm. showering, blow drying, straightening, curling, styling, spray, makeup. It takes so long that, and, and it's ultimately bad for your hair. It was ripping my hair out. I was pulling out so much hair. And as you get older, your hair thins. It's like not fun. I've learned to appreciate my curls because they make my hair look fuller. Anyway, at a certain point, I was just like, F this. I cannot do this anymore. I'm going to go all natural. I'm going to get headshots all natural. Take it or leave it, bitches. And wouldn't you know, yes. like people loved it. Also, it was coming in style anyway, thank God. Like, But now majority of anything I book is because I have curly hair, which is so funny to me. And your headshots where your hair is curly versus the ones from when it's not, you look so much more comfortable. You look like you're yourself. That's how I feel about my most recent headshots where with the short hair, with any of my feminine headshots before where I had longer hair, I look like a scared, wounded child. And then in the most recent shots that I got, and even like the non-headshot kind of sexy boudoir shots that I just recently did with Alex Kasha, I'm just like, that's who I've always been. It's just that they were underneath a bunch of other stuff, the addiction, of course, the self-doubt and the anger and all of the fear of not being non-binary enough or being too non-binary to get any work. And now it's like, yeah, similarly, I'm getting called in a lot and it's amazing. And I was terrified. I was telling my good friend Layla the other day, I was like, before I cut my hair, I always think that something is going to be the end of my career. And typically when I take that leap of faith, it actually helps my career. Our hair so is such a big part of our identity as entertainers. Truly. But I'm grateful. It feels freeing to just be able to wash it and put a little bit of gel in it and just let it air dry and not have to do anything else with it, not have to take any heat tools, nothing. It just feels so good. And I'm grateful that society is kind of embracing natural hair more. I will acknowledge that comes from Black women and has always been Black women and brown women doing that first. I'm glad that the world is catching up with the excellence of BIPOC folks. Yeah, shout out to and black and brown women who are like owning their natural stuff and then allowing us to like show up more as ourselves. Fully 100% agree with that. Yeah. I would love to ask you another question, which is what would you say to little you? What would you say? 
say stop comparing and despairing as much as you do, especially to your father. Just try, just have fun with it. You don't have to be that good. And everything isn't as life or death as it feels it is right now. Tell that boy you like him. If he doesn't like you, you'll move on. It's not going to be the end of your life. Tell people how, it's like the thing you hear about old people dying. And when they ask, what do you regret? And they're like, I wish I'd been more, you know, I hadn't lived in his fear of telling people how I felt or being my true self. I was like, that's probably what I would tell my younger child. There was just so much fear and anxiety and worry that kept me small and kept me sheltered that I would just be like, it's not as bad out there as you think. And you will survive if somebody doesn't like you, if you fail, in fact, overcoming that and keep going is like part of the beauty of life is when you can keep going after certain failures and learn it's not the end of the world. And then also, what if you say something and then it's like, oh my God, I felt the same way and I was too scared, like unrequited love. That would be it. What do you say? What do you say to your little self? What do I say to my little self today? Little Riv, I'm proud of you. You're safe. You're welcome to come to my LA apartment. You would love it. I could definitely like hang out in my closet and look at all the cool clothes that I've accrued that I've picked out for myself and didn't have to go through my parents to approve of before buying them. You were right. You are a witch. You were always right. You always could see ghosts. And that's totally cool. And you found people that celebrate that rather than try to tell you it's weird and tell you to hide that power. And I love you. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. I love that. (laughs) I love that. I do a lot of journaling to and from my inner child as just like a spiritual practice. And what's been coming up a lot is fear again, fear that this podcast is going to come out and people are going to absolutely read me to filth and tell me like, I get a lot of comments that are like, why are you still talking about School of Rock? It happened 18 years ago. But then on the other side of the coin, I have people that are like, keep talking about it. We love you. We've loved you this entire time. And we've always wondered where you were. So it's like, I don't know. I know I'm not going to please everybody with anything I do, but I know that there are handfuls of people who are absolutely in my corner and you know, it just feels great to be able to use my platform to give other folks a platform to talk about this stuff that doesn't get talked about very regularly, especially you. Like, again, you've lived in the shadow of a very worldly renowned person and you don't get to tell your own story because it's always coming from the umbrella of like, oh yeah, Peter's daughter. You're a fully formed and fleshed out human who has so much more to offer aside from having a famous dad, who's a cool ass famous dad to have. Like totally. So fun. I mean, he would joke when I was younger with the snowboarding, our little joke was the opposite of what most people say, like talking about me and snowboarding. I was written up in the local newspaper more than he was at that time. So it was like our fun little bit because rarely was I in the spotlight compared to him. But yeah, no, he was great. We had so much fun together and all that stuff. I'm super grateful. But I used to pray to be average. That's how much I didn't like certain aspects of the lifestyle. I was like, I just want to be average. I just want to be normal. I don't know if you relate at all to that. But 
now I'm like recently just forgiven myself for being special. Like literally a month ago, I forgave myself for being special. Now I'm like, for the first time, kind of want to be a little special, a little different. Yeah. I'm like grateful for a lot of the things that are average about me that I get now. And I'm like, oh yeah, most people have that. Whatever plight you feel, if you're alone, depression, anxiety, ADHD, like most people probably have a modicum of that and can relate and like yeah maybe I can step into my power a little bit more and my creative prowess a little more than I've ever done before kind of what you were saying of oh god am I going to be canceled by haters as I write this show there's a trans lead that I don't have any experience around yes we're getting a trans consult and all that but am I going to get canceled for this representation that I'm like I don't know I just have to try and I might fail, I might mess up, but like that's the point is to bring more dialogue around this stuff. And for you doing this podcast, the courage it takes to overcome that fear is like really inspiring. And then showing up as yourself, even for me, is inspiring. Like I know you somewhat and even your public exposure of who you are and your journey is super inspiring. And I can only imagine that that's going to be more of a help to other people in the world. So yeah, I commend you for doing this. And thanks for having me on. Of course, my love. I think that's a great place to kind of wrap things up here. I would love to know what is the thing that you're working on right now that you're the most excited about and where can people find you on the internet if you want them to? Yeah, absolutely. I would say two things. The show that I've been working on called Beating Around the Bush that we just are still in the writing process of two years later, but really stoked about it. We just submitted to the Sundance Series Lab and the Gotham Series Lab to help us bump it up, get network connection. We'll see if we get in. Fingers crossed. Not the end of the journey if we don't. You can find us on Instagram at beating around the bush, all spelled out, or you can find me on Instagram at Claire Cetera. You can also find me on my, I probably need to update it, website, www.clairecetera.com. And then I would say just personal small hobby love that's blossoming is my ceramics. I just joined, well, Pot, which is awesome, a local BIPOC-focused community-based clay studio is awesome. And I was renting from them a wheel. And now I'm at Claytivity, which is awesome. And I get to make ceramics whenever I want with a community that I, I know it sounds silly, but I love being in there because it's people like me that are obsessed with ceramics. And I'm making my friend Jeff a mezcal sipping set of like four little cute mezcal, those mini bowls and like a tray and a little handmade jigger. So that's kind of what I'm into right now obsessed. I love that. I live literally like steps away from Claytivity. That's so funny. If you're ever over there, give me a hoot and a holler and I'll like come out with a mask on and be like, hi. Hey. (laughs) I'll just like step out onto my balcony and be like, hey. Yeah. A little Romeo and Juliet moment for us. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on Where Are We For having me, Rivka. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Where Are We Now with Rivka Reyes. Please check us out on Instagram at Where Are We Now Pod. And if you like our show, please leave us a review. If you leave a review and DM a screenshot on Instagram at Where Are We Now Pod, I will pull a tarot card for you. That's right. I might also give you some tough love. You might need it. Join our community on Patreon for BTS, spicy content, spicy pictures. Yeah, you know you want to get a picture of my sweet, sweet ass in your email personalized shoutouts, and more. Patreon.com slash Rivka Reyes. You can follow me at Rivka Reyes on Twitter and at Rivka.Reyes on Instagram and TikTok. 
last but not least, I must give credit to our wonderful team of women. The music is produced by Elise Watman, the graphics are designed by Marina Heinze, and the editing is done by our friends at weeditpodcast.com, which is a women-owned business. So cool. We love to see it. Finally, just know wherever you are in your life, physically, mentally, spiritually, you are loved. Get used to it, babe. See you next week.